Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Anything to connect these discoveries with the disappearance of Mrs. Thomas. But that mystery was soon to be cleared up to a very great extent. Meanwhile, Webster had been very busy. Through her friends, the porters, she had got into touch with a publican named Church, on the representation that she had furniture at Vine Cottages, which she wished to sell. Unsuspecting, Church entered into negotiations, with the result that he agreed to buy the things, and got as far as having a van at Vine Cottages to take them away. Now came the beginning of the developments that explained the non-appearance of Mrs. Thomas and the singular sounds which had been heard in her house. The landlady, Miss Ives, seeing the van and the preparations for removal, naturally became curious to know what was being done by her tenant. She asked Webster where Mrs. Thomas was and how it happened that she had not said anything of her intention to leave the house. Webster became confused and made unsatisfactory answers, the result being that the van men were paid a certain sum and went away, taking a few small articles with them, and Webster hurried to Hammersmith, borrowed a sovereign, took her child, a boy, who had been staying there, and fled to Enniscorthy in Ireland, her native place. There was now every reason for the intervention of the police, and accordingly they took charge of the matter and set to work methodically to find out what had taken place. Very soon it was established that an exceptionally dreadful murder had been committed, and that there was a close connection between the disappearance of Mrs. Thomas and the discovery of the human remains at Barnesbridge and Twickenham. Examination of the house showed that there were bloodstains on various parts of the walls and the floors, that there were calcined human bones in the kitchen fireplace and under the copper, and that the outside of the copper had been newly whitewashed. There were other signs of atrocity which it is not necessary to mention, but the main inference was clear, and it was this, that a terrible murder had been committed, and that uncommon pains had been taken to remove all evidence of the crime. The next stage in the dreadful drama was the sending of police officers to Enniscorthy, and the arrest of Kate Webster on the charge of murdering Mrs. Thomas. Webster was taken into custody and brought back to Richmond by way of Holyhead. On the journey, having been charged and cautioned, she made a statement which amounted to this, that she knew that her mistress had been murdered, and she endeavored to make out that the crime had been committed by other people. On the strength of what she said, Church, an entirely innocent man, was arrested and placed in a position of terrible peril. 
but it was soon obvious that there was not a shadow of ground for the accusation against him and he became an important witness for the crown little by little the dreadful nature of the crime was revealed and by the time webster appeared before the judge and jury at the central criminal court the murder had been pretty well reconstructed and this was the story mrs thomas had been slain and the body had been cut up and partly burned and partly boiled the kitchen fire and the copper having been used for these purposes in order to get rid of some portions of the remains the wooden box had been thrown into the river at richmond bridge and had been discovered at barnes railway bridge other parts of the body doubtless including the head had been put in the black bag and disposed of but no trace of that was ever found after it was seen in webster's possession it will be seen how nearly webster entirely escaped she had succeeded so well in the earlier stages of her crime that it is surprising she did not continue the success to the very end but murder will out and certainly it came to light in this case apart from the fact that important parts of the remains were never found there were sufficient left to leave no question as to the identity of the murdered individual it might of course have happened that the chief point in the identification would have depended upon proving that the model which i had taken exactly corresponded with the mouth of the deceased but fortunately for justice there were other ways of establishing the identity of mrs thomas and when webster was finally committed for trial there was a strong case against her there were the signs at the house the corded box was known to have been used by mrs thomas as a bonnet box and the furniture removal men had taken a few things away dresses in the pockets of which were comprising letters in her hasty flight too the prisoner had left her watch behind and this was found though quite apart from that there was abundant evidence of her association with the house and being in it when the murder must have been committed there was another thing proved which was of great importance a gold plate was produced which i examined and compared with the cast i had taken of the lower jaw of mrs thomas i found that this plate corresponded with the cast and left no doubt that it had belonged to the deceased lady though she was not wearing it when she came to see me explaining that it hurt her this plate was given by webster to a man to sell and he disposed of it for six shillings webster gave him a shilling for his trouble the murder was so uncommonly atrocious that it aroused an enormous amount of interest throughout the country and the interest was fully maintained in spite of the postponement of the trial from one sessions to another so that the prisoner might have time to prepare her defense webster had been arrested towards the end of march but it was not until july that she was put on her trial at the central criminal court before the honorable mr justice denman the trial was a protracted business occupying six long days and it was conducted by the crown in the fairest possible manner the prisoner had every chance of proving her innocence but she was not in a position to do so and she must have known that there was practically no hope of an acquittal yet to the very end she was under the impression that she would be found not guilty certainly after her condemnation she believed to the last that she would be reprieved though why she should have encouraged any such hope it is hard to understand day after day the court was packed with men and women and every point in the case was followed with acute interest and through it all the tall gaunt ill-favored woman who was in the peril of her life remained apparently unmoved 
even when the most ghastly of the details were gone into, as they are of necessity gone into on such occasions as this. At the end of that long, and to me, very wearisome trial, the prisoner, who had not made any defense and had not called any witnesses, was found guilty, the jury being absent from court about an hour and a quarter. There was some delay in passing sentence of death, as Webster wished to consult her solicitor. He went into the dock and had some earnest private talk with her, but no one knew what the conversation was about. The court was crowded, and there was an intense and awful silence, broken at last by the judge, gently but firmly intimating that quite sufficient time had been given for any necessary question to be asked and answered. Then the solicitor left the dock, and the convicted woman was asked if she had anything to say why sentence of death should not be passed upon her. Webster seemed to be calm and collected, and she answered in clear, firm tones that she was not guilty, and made a short speech protesting her innocence. But her very protest served only to confirm the justice of the verdict, for she said, And another thing, I was led to this. In uttering this, she removed any possible doubt that might have lingered in one's mind. I was in the crowded court when all this was taking place, and I suppose that when the judge had assumed the black cap and passed sentence, the dreadful proceedings were ended, but there was still another sensation in a case which had offered many great surprises. The condemned woman had been actually removed from the dock, and people were beginning to leave the court when she was brought back, and it was privately intimated to the court that she declared herself as about to become a mother. All who were in the court were utterly taken aback by this fresh development, and as far as I recollect, the judge himself said that in all his experience he had never known an instance like it. His lordship did not hesitate to fall back on the wide criminal knowledge of the clerk of assize, Mr. Avery, and a jury of women was sworn to try this unexpected issue. When such a plea was put forward by a condemned woman, a jury of matrons has to be impaneled, and upon their verdict it rests whether or no there shall be a stay of execution. There were then, as there had been throughout the trial, a good many women in court, and very soon a dozen had been sworn and were in the box, which had been occupied by the men who had found the prisoner guilty. A celebrated surgeon, Mr. Bond, was present, and he and the jury of females and a few other persons in court, including myself, withdrew to the jury room, to which the prisoner, in the care of two women warders, was taken. It was soon found that she had lied in her statement, and the jury of matrons returned to the court, where, after some legal argument, the judge again summed up, very briefly, to the occupants of the box, addressing them as, ladies of the jury. The matrons were only two or three minutes before giving their verdict. As soon as their finding had been delivered, Webster was removed from the dock. She was taken straight to Wandsworth Prison, where she had been previously confined for lesser offenses, and there she was hanged. Before being executed, this strange and forbidding woman confessed that she alone did the murder, that her mistress reproved her for being under the influence of drink, and that she knocked her down the stairs and then strangled her. This is very good reason to believe, however, that the crime was premeditated. It was stated at the time that Webster, while in prison for the last time, was very submissive and docile, and was thankful to be in a jail which was familiar to her, 
and where she was undoubtedly treated with the utmost kindness to the very end. The house where the murder was committed is still standing. We will go and see it, but the name of the spot has been changed. When we have looked at it, we will go a little farther, and I will point out to you a much more interesting place, and that is the one which is associated with the lass of Richmond Hill. End of chapter 5, Kate Webster's Revenge